you know, John reached out to me about speaking again, and um, I'll be honest, I'll be he- I was hesitant about it. Um, I'm often hesitant about <sighs> kind of sharing what God's been doing in my heart, um, just because it tends to be in process. And um, I wanted, what I want to share with you tonight is kind of a heady, with a lot of heady ideas in it, but um, it started with a really simple statement by a really good friend um, that I just couldn't, I couldn't shake out of my head. Um, just the simple first phrase, love is patient. And um, as I meditated on the concept of love is patient, um, I really asked God, you know, God, what are you being patient with us about right now? And um, he kind of started me down uh, a road of kind of looking at our culture and looking at everything we've been dealing with. And, and it really brought me to this place of asking the question, um, you know, what, what, are, what are we stumbling over as a culture? And I feel like we're, we're in the middle of, as a culture, an existential crisis or a crisis of where are we from? You know, existence. What is, what is that really about? And I want to take a second and, and, and pray and ask God to illuminate our hearts and really speak to us about what that means. What, what does it mean to, to be from something, um, to have a beginning? And uh, what, is, what is this existence that we have here on earth, and, and what does he want to do with us, and where are we from? So I'll, I'll start off just by first— um, asking him to, to help me with this, because this is, this is a big subject, and it's really tough, something you can really stumble over. So, Father, thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for being patient with us as we truly ask the hard questions. Lord, thank you for being patient with me as I seek to try and explain what I believe that you've put in my heart when it comes to this deep issue of existence and our personal crisis about who we are. Um, Lord, I just ask that um, you would you would speak and that you would open our hearts to the truth that you desire to impart into our hearts. And Lord, that you would hold back in my words and you would only allow your words to flow. I pray this in Jesus' name and by your spirit. So I want to start in 1 John. 1 John 4, 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if, we so, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So as I was struggling with this concept of, um, 
God being patient with us in our struggle over where we come from. I was thinking about the flood of information that is coming into our life, the flood of media and art and politics and all of this, that everyone's trying to impress upon us their own personal opinion about who we are, where we come from, what we're here for, our existence, our meaning, all these deep things. And it just comes to this point where you have to go, wait, you know, what do I believe? And I think at the core, we have to ask ourselves a series of questions and answer them in a very coherent way for us to be able to even tackle any of this. And I think the the core question that I really want to bring us to um, is really Robbie Zacharias says it so well. He says we have to stumble over where we come from, our origin. We have to stumble over what is the meaning of our life. We have to stumble over our morality, our destiny. And these four things really bring together into a full picture um, a worldview or a place where we start from. Basically, this idea of existence, the crisis of existence, really comes from where do we come from, what, what, why are we here? And what are we supposed to be doing here? And then ultimately, where are we going? And the reason I bring this up is because I think if we can answer these questions in a coherent way, we'll be able to put a framework to essentially put up a, a guard against the flood that our culture is throwing at us in everything that, you know, from media, from Facebook to everything that's going on. And I want to really root this in... Um, kind of a a proposal here, and I propose that love is really the key to answering these questions. And when I say love, I want to be really careful about what I'm saying about love, and I I want you to remember that we're talking about God's love, and we're talking about really love in a very, um, not on a surface level. And for that reason, I want to take time, and I want to stop and realize that our pop culture asks us, says things like, all you need is love, and this, what is love, and, you know, demands that we give all of our love. And it, it, it speaks so much about love, but it really doesn't speak anything. And, you know, we have definitions around us of what love is. Um, but I want to I really take a minute here and speak to what is love. And Webster's, it, it, the dictionary really says it's an intense feeling of deep affection a deep romantic or sexual attachment to somebody, a great interest or pleasure in something. And, you know, the Greeks really got it right in some ways when they broke this out into multiple things. Um, Amanda, I I know you can appreciate this, and the fact that they say that there's actually four types of love or four words for love. And one of the most important ones is agape, which means um, basically the love of God for man and man for God. And the word that really encompasses that is the word charity, this idea that um, we voluntarily give unto one another. And this word charity, it really, um, the secondary um, definition for it is kindness or tolerance in judging others. And I think that's something that's really lacking right now in our culture. And I want to highlight this word because we're going to come back to it. Because charity is really, really important. In fact, um, one of the final definitions for agape or charity is really the archaic love of humankind. Basically, the dictionary is saying that it's no longer relevant by saying archaic, but really it's the core of 
what Christian love is supposed to be. This idea that we're supposed to be kind and tolerant in our judgment of others and that we're supposed to be giving sacrificially of our help. So we'll come back to that. But there are other types of love, um, and our culture pushes these hard. Things like eros, which is, you know, love in terms of sexual passion. Um, They push us hard. Also, you know, affectionate regard in friendship, which is philia, I believe. Um, And then storge, which is the love and affection, especially of parents for their children. And this is something that I'm learning right now as a new dad. And in that, you know, I'm anticipating the need to answer these tough questions for my daughter. You know, when she asks me things like, um, you know, Daddy, why do I have to be kind? Why do I have to be, why do I have to share? You know, um, where do babies come from? You know, uh, where do people go when they die? I mean, this is, this is the same stuff. This is what we have to answer as human beings. This really gets back to that core question of origin, uh, meaning, morality, and destiny. We have to answer these, even as a child. So I really want to highlight this, but I I really want to go deeper than that. I want to say that the Bible really gives us a really good framework when it comes to love. Um, But more than that, I I want to bring it down into a really bite-sized piece. And and my definition of love, based upon my understanding, and it's flawed, I'm sure, but it's where we are. Uh, It's a fundamental expression of care or affection or desire for another. It's an expression outward. And in, in my estimation, love is the, in its best sense, does not require anything of the object of the love, but it requires everything of the giver of the love. And that, that is a really intense concept, to, that, that to give love, it requires everything of you. Now, in 1 Corinthians 13, we hear this definition all the time, but I'm going to read it in a different version than you've probably heard before because I want you to get the essence of what Paul's getting at here. He's saying that love never gives up. Love cares more for others than itself. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Now I want to go back and say, remember, this is an expression of this idea that love is always giving of itself for others. Now, that's what I'm saying love is, but in truth, we just read in 1 John that love is really a person. That God is love, or God defines love. Let me read that again, just because it's helpful says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, the character of God, if the character of God is love, this might be a clue to some of these deep questions. 
that we're dealing with. And I want to highlight love as this key to unlocking the answer to these questions. And if the character of God is love, and we are seeking for love, and it's, it's marked in our culture, you know, when, when we have songs that sing about love constantly, when we have, you know, people desiring to get love from each other, when we, when we seek after things because we think it's going to bring us the fulfillment or the love that we're hoping for, perhaps we're really just looking for the thing that God placed in our hearts, which is this desire for himself. So if God is love and we desire love, are we really just looking for the origin of where we're from? Are we really just created to be searching and to be lost until we have re-engaged with that which, where we come from, the source? And I would say in my personal experience, that's exactly what I've, you know, encountered. I mean, we, we seek for love in so many different ways. We seek from our parents. We seek for it from relationships. We seek for it in buying things. And all of them, they fall short on one level or another. Because the purity of love, the true essence of love, can only be found through an infinite being and through God. And when you look at this definition from 1 Corinthians, you know, love never gives up cares more for others than itself. It doesn't want what it doesn't have. It doesn't strut. It doesn't swell, have a swollen head. I mean, these, these are characteristics that are, that are truly giving. And when we look at what God has done for us, I think that's really where we, we can see the character of love in his person. And I want to highlight uh, the fact that Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love. In, in human form. And that when we have the person of God who is expressing his love for us, God was patient after he created us. He was patient with us when we rejected his love and chose to go our own way. Because in his love, he didn't force us to love him in return. Just like the definition says, you know, it's not requiring of us to love in return. We have free will. All right. And in that, we, when we rejected God's love, we allowed ourselves to, to go outside of his order. And last time I spoke, I spoke about the idea that God has a legacy of um, love of— sorry, I have this— <laughs> You know what? I'm going to skip that because I'm not, it's not coming to me right away. Um, basically, it's the, the idea that God's legacy is life and truth and peace and justice. And that when we rejected God, we brought the opposite of that upon ourselves. Uh, we actually brought in death and chaos. And we brought in injustice and lies into our life. And in, in that duality man's character is shown because God created us with the capacity to love in the image, in his own image, which is loving, but he also, out of his love, didn't force us into a mold. He said, you have the ability to choose another way, but in that choice, there are consequences. And we did make that mistake as a human race. And the legacy of 
the human race is one of brokenness on a grand scale. But that's not the end of the story, and that's the beautiful thing about this. With God being love and his character, he said, you know what? I didn't, I didn't just love you so that you would do something in return. I'm going to continue and finish this work. And so in this character of love, which God exhibits, he did all of the work. And this is a Christian distinctive that God created, God sustained, God redeemed, God resurrected. God is building his kingdom, and God will come again. Now, in this, we are invited to participate, but we are not required to participate because we have free will. And that, think about the weight of that. When you have created something and you love it so desperately, and you know that you are going to do whatever it takes to capture the heart of that person, but you are going to give everything in yourself to go after that person, regardless of whether they are going to respond to you. That is love, and that is the character of God. So, not only is love a key to answering the questions that we have to answer in our lifetime, love is a person, and it's, and it's God. But, again, we're in a culture that is overwhelmed with information. And I want to take a slight detour for a second, and this is a challenging concept, but I think it's really critical because we have to ask ourselves the question, which God? Because we are just flooded with thousands of representations of God. Whether it be, I'm going to pursue wealth because that will bring me satisfaction, or I'm going to worship that rock star because they're just that awesome. Or I'm going to build a stone idol, and I'm going to worship that because I believe in my faith that it will bring me good luck. I think it's really critical that we ask ourselves which God is truly loving. And I think the key here is love. If we can find a God that exhibits the character of love, I think we have found the origin. I think we have found the true source of our existence. And I want to highlight a few things about this. Um, I think as love being the key here, let's think about God as creating out of love. If God is creating and he's the source of all, then he must be eternal. He must be before all and after all. And if he's loving, then he, by his very nature, has to express that love to someone or something. And if he's both eternal and loving, then there must be something to love. And so in doing, in that, there must be unity and diversity, meaning that there must be multiple persons unified in one being to have a loving and eternal existence. And this is the mystery that we call Trinity. And this is a really tough concept, but if you can wrap your mind around the fact that in the Trinity, eternity past to eternity future, God was pouring out his heart of love on the Son, and the Son on the Father, and the Spirit is interwound in all of this in a perfect unity of diversity and love. And out of that was birthed this expression of desiring to love further, which became creation. If you can wrap your head around that, you can see why our earth is so diverse and so unique and so beautiful because it comes from this 
unity of diversity that we call Trinity. And this is also a Christian distinctive. This is something that is unique. And it is the God that I serve and it is the God that we espouse as Christians. Unity and diversity. I think this is really critical because every other God out there will require something of you. All right? And will not have the character of love, which requires nothing of you, but desires your participation. All right? So whether it be that we have to grovel and come and give our offering to a God, or whether it be that we need to have penance for some sort of, for our sin, or whatever it may be, there's this requirement. But in the Trinity, in the perfection of love, God said, I've got it. I took care of it for you. And I think that's really critical for us to understand. It's not that God isn't just and doesn't have a law and doesn't want us to participate in that law. It's that he already took care of it for us. All right, so that's a tough subject, and we'll keep moving here. Um, a couple of verses that, that speak to that, if you're interested. Um, you can look at basically the entire book of, of John, because it really highlights. But um, if you're really interested in digging into Trinity further, you can look at uh, John 3, uh, 34 and 36. It really speaks directly to the persons of God and how they interact with each other. But I guess next, after we've seen that, what is love and what and who is love, we have to ask ourselves, what is love asking or what is love calling us to do? And I just want to highlight real quick what love has done for us first and then go into that. But this is not to minimize our response to this. I want you to take a second, close your eyes, and think for a minute about this perfect being that was in perfect harmony with, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from eternity past to eternity future. And then in that perfection, they chose to pour forth their love in creation. And in pouring forth their love, they literally made everything perfect in love. And in that perfection, they also created a being that was endowed with their own image of love, the ability to love and the ability to not love, to choose otherwise. And then in addition to that, they entered into a loving relationship with that being, and then that being decided that they wanted to go their own way. And that is the story of humankind. We decided to go our own way. And what did we introduce into this world? We introduced into this world death and chaos and lies and injustice when God offered us life and peace and truth and justice. But that's not the end of the story because love said, that's, I don't want it to end that way. I'm going to pursue you further. And Love was patient with us. God was patient with us. And he kept revealing himself. And he kept revealing himself through Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob and through many prophets and through the apostles. And in the end, he revealed himself in the ultimate way through Jesus, in physical form, God with us, Emmanuel. And when Jesus came, he lived the life we couldn't live. He lived up to the requirement 
that we love God first and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And when Jesus lived up to that requirement, he then took it one step further. He actually took on the weight of the debt that we had incurred. And he went to the cross and he died because we needed a just way to come back into relationship with God. And in, through that, the love of God overcame the requirement of justice and made a way for us to have a relationship with God again. So what is our response to this to be? When God has asked us to love him first and to love our neighbor as ourselves, first I think we have to—it's a call to repentance. It's a call for all of us to ask ourselves the hard question of, do we really believe that love is our source and our origin? Do we really believe that God— made this way for us to have a relationship with him? Do we really believe that the creator of the universe wants a deep relationship with us? And do we really believe that Jesus poured himself out so that we can do that? And do we believe that Jesus is the son of God? These are some tough questions that we have to ask ourselves. But in the end, that call is still out there. You know, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40, Jesus is responding to people who are trying to trip him up. And when they ask him, what are the greatest commandments? And he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you can do those two things, then you have met the law and the prophets. I don't think anybody in this room, at least I know I have not met that standard. But, thanks be to God, Jesus met that standard and went beyond that. In love, he laid down his life. In love, he broke the power of sin and death through his resurrection. In love, he called out to us and said, repent and be saved. So our response is to repent, and our response is to seek a relationship with love, with the source. And I think the key here is that the obedience of Jesus made up for our disobedience. And the next step beyond obedience, when, and when, I'm sorry, let me take a step back there. So the obedience of Jesus made up for the disobedience in, in us. But that wasn't the end of it. Not only did Jesus come and he raised, rose from the dead, but he sent his Holy Spirit. Why did he send his Holy Spirit? To empower us to be obedient, to empower us to love our neighbor. And why did he do this? Because he's building his family up again. He created the world, and in his creation, he was making a family to be loved, all right? And that reconciliation that happened between God and us through Jesus extends to all humanity through us, through us preaching the gospel, through us loving each other, through us giving a small amount of money to somebody who requests it, to us giving a hand to somebody on the street, to us putting our arm around somebody and buying them a meal, to us finding a way through the courts or whatever means to be just to those who are underprivileged. Our call is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus did not withhold anything to the point of death. 
His love took him. Our call is to love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm still trying to figure out what that means in terms of day-to-day life, but I know this. Love requires everything of us and nothing of the person you're supposed to love. These are really hard, deep concepts that you have to chew on for a while, and I just feel like the Lord wants us to, to sit in this for a minute. But I also want, I think, through this verse, Ephesians 2, it says, 16 through 18, Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of hostility. You get that? Christ brought us together through death on his cross. He reunified humanity. There is this process of reunification that's happening. He treated us as equals, and so made us equals. Through him, we are both, we, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. There are no levels in the kingdom. There are no division between the people. We are brothers and sisters, unified by one spirit. And that's plain enough. You are no longer wandering exiles. We are no longer separated from God. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You are no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Krishna as anyone. God is building a home. He is using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He's using the apostles and the prophets as a foundation, and now he's using you, fitted in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple of which God is quite at home. So this is the picture of where we're going. In this reconciliation that God is doing, where he actually is reunifying mankind with each other and with him, he's actually rebuilding in the, in the physical and in the spiritual his temple, his home, through each one of us as we reunify. Jesus being the first part and we being in this call to love him first and to love each other, the, the different stones and the pieces building up to this, this holy kingdom that he's putting together. And really what I'm getting at here is that God being our origin, love being the key to unlocking where we come from, and love being the key to meaning, why we're here, meaning that God imprinted value on our hearts by putting his image in us. And there is meaning to your life because you are connected to God. And there's meaning in our existence because he wants you to be part of his kingdom. And he's also imprinted in our hearts a morality, an understanding of the truth. And all of this is leading towards a destiny that we are reconciling the entire world which rejected him into one kingdom under his lordship. And I I think this is critical because this is the lens we have to look at our life through. And when the world comes at us and says, you you exist because some amoebas got together, or you exist because a cosmic force you know, birthed, you know, some sort of existence, or you are part of 
a meaningless existence, or you only exist and have merit because of what you do and not who you are. These are lies, and we have to have the ability to go back and look at and say, no, no, I exist because a loving being chose that I should exist. I, ex- I have meaning because I am a child of God and I am uniquely called to play a part in his kingdom. I know right from wrong because God has placed in my heart the Holy Spirit and given me a sense of what right and wrong is. And I know that my ultimate destiny is to be a part of the kingdom of God and I am building towards something greater than myself. That is how we're going to be able to stand against the deluge of information and lies that are all around us. We have to be able to surround ourselves with the truth And the key to that truth is looking for the love of God. And if we're looking for the love of God in our everyday life, we have to look for that sacrificial love that overpowers all things, requires nothing of us, but invites us to participate. And I think that's absolutely critical. And I want to read um, one final verse. And I think it kind of encapsulates a lot of what I'm speaking of here. It's Philippians 2. It says, If you have gotten anything out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love one another. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside. Help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourself the way Christ thought himself. He had equal status with God and did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When it came time... He set aside the privileges of deity and took the status of a slave, becoming human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible, hum- incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth and even those long ago dead and buried will bow and worship before Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. And when I was going through this, I was not surprised, but I was pleasantly surprised that in this one passage, we we see our origin. And we see God in his love pouring out himself. We see our purpose to worship and to care for each other and reflect his character as his children. We see morality that's been placed in our hearts to give up ourselves in love for those around us. We also see our destiny to be unified as a body of believers that will change the world. 
And we see in Christ that we will receive our inheritance of life, peace, truth, and justice as it was meant to be. And we can turn from the chaos that has been destroying our life. I really want to take a minute and um, think about this because this really has, um, it's a, it is a crisis, if you will. Uh, when you are confronted with the love of God, you can either reject it and choose what we have in this world, or you can accept it and walk down a road of being transformed. This is not an easy decision, and it requires you to, to really ask yourself, is Jesus the Son of God, or was he a madman? Because for him to be claiming that he is God, and for us to believe that he died and rose again, we're either madmen or he's the Son of God. And so for us as believers— who have accepted this, I think we need to take a second and ask ourselves, are we pursuing God and seeking to love him first and to love our neighbors? Are we seeking to love on an individual level each and every person in this room? Are we seeking to care for each other and to, to, to give God's heart back to one another? For us who haven't accepted this, you are a crossroads. You have to stumble across this. You can say, I'm not ready to make this decision, but you have made a decision when you do that. And I don't think it's fair for me to stand up here and present this and not say, you need to make a decision, and there is no daylight today. So I would encourage you that if you've never accepted the truth that Jesus came and he died, and the reason he died is because he loved you. And that he rose from the grave, breaking the power of sin and death, fulfilling the requirement of justice, and through that, providing a way for us to have a real and lasting relationship with God, the source of all things, who created us, who desired that relationship, and was willing to give everything so that you can have that relationship. And not just for ourselves, but because he desires to reconcile the entire human race. And he desires to do that through us. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the Christian distinctive, that we serve a God that is unity and diversity, Trinity, that we serve a God that is characterized by love, that we serve a God that pursues us and does not require anything from us, but desires our participation and desires us to make a choice, desires us to wrestle with accepting his lordship in our life. So, Lord, I just ask right now, in the name of Jesus, as we're going out from here, Lord, I just pray you would allow all of us to be wrestling in our hearts over this truth, and that as we are encountering the world, and the world is trying to impress upon us their ideals, that you would bring us back to the ideals of your love and your truth, and that you would have us come before you. And honestly, Lord, I ask that you would bring us to that place of making a decision to accept the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and that through him we have received the ability to have a deep and lasting relationship with you, the source of it all, the one that brings meaning to our life, the one that provides a destiny that is meaningful. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate all of our hearts, Lord, and that the Holy Spirit would be guiding us as we 
struggle with this decision, Lord, for, our, for the believers, Lord, I, I pray that you would be impressing on their hearts what it means to love you first and what it means to love our neighbors in Baltimore City, Lord, what it means to care for those in our community, what it means to care for our city and our nation, Lord, what it means to have tolerance and not judge, what it means to extend charity to all. So, Lord, I just pray that as we wrestle with these difficult uh, subjects, Lord, that you would be there with us and you'd be guiding us through that and that you allow this to illuminate our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So each week we, um, we share communion, and communion is an expression of remembrance for what Christ has done for us. And we invite all to come who believe in that and partake in the, the juice and the bread, which is an expression of Jesus' blood and his body broken and poured out for us. I would encourage all of you to take a minute, and if you believe that, to come and partake in it. Um, if you need to wrestle with that, take that time and wrestle with it. I'd be happy to speak with you if you are still wrestling through that decision, and be happy to pray with you. Thank you, everyone.